Homily 24 of Homilies of St. John Chrysostom on 1 Corinthians, Part 1. The Sleepervox recording is in the public domain. Homily 24, 1 Corinthians 10.13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Thus, because he hath terrified them greatly, relating the ancient examples, and thrown them into an agony, saying, Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. Though they had borne many temptations, and had exercised themselves many times therein, for I was with you, saith he, in weakness and in fear, and in much trembling, lest they should say, why terrify and alarm us? We are not unexercised in these troubles, for we have been both chaste and persecuted, and many and continual dangers have we endured. Repressing again their pride, he says, There hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man, i.e. small, brief, moderate. For he uses the expression common to man in respect of what is small, as when he says, I speak after the manner of men, because of the infirmity of your flesh. Think not then great things, saith he, as though ye had overcome the storm. For never have ye seen a danger threatening death, nor temptation intending slaughter. Which also he said to the Hebrews, Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Then, because he had terrified them, see how again he raises them up, at the same time recommending moderation. In the words, God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. There are therefore temptations which we are not able to bear. And what are these? All so to speak. For the ability lies in God, turning the scale, a power which we draw down by our own will. Wherefore, that thou mayest know and see that not only those which exceed our power, but not even these which are common to man. It is possible without assistance from God easily to bear, he added, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. For, saith he, not even those moderate temptations, as I was remarking, may we bear by our own power, but even in them we require aid from him in our warfare, that we may pass through them, and until we have passed, bear them. For he gives patience and brings on a speedy release, so that in this way also the temptation becomes bearable. This he covertly intimates, saying, will also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. In all things he refers to him. Verse 14. Wherefore, my brethren, flee from idolatry. Again he courts them by the name of kindred, and urges them to be rid of this sin with all speed. For he did not simply depart, but flee. And he calls the matter idolatry, and no longer bids them quit it merely on account of the injury to their neighbor, but signifies that the very thing of itself is sufficient to bring a great destruction. Verse 15. I speak as unto wise men. Judge ye what I say, because he hath cried aloud and heightened the accusation, calling it idolatry, that he might not seem to exasperate them, and to make his speech 
disguising. In what follows, he refers the decision to them and sets his judges down on their tribunal with an encomium. For I speak as unto wise men, saith he, which is a mark of one very confident of his own rights, that he should make the accused himself the judge of his allegations. Thus also he more elevates the hearer, when he discourses not as commanding, nor as laying down the law, but as advising with them, and as actually pleading before them. For with the Jews, as more foolishly and childishly disposed, God did not so discourse, nor did he, in every instance, acquaint them with the reasons of the commands, but merely enjoined them. But here, because we have the privilege of great liberty, we are even admitted to be counselors. And he discourses as with friends, and says, I need no other judges. Do ye yourselves pass this sentence upon me? I take you for arbiters. Verse 16. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the bud of Christ? What sayest thou, O blessed Paul, when thou wouldest appeal to the hearer's reverence, when thou art making mention of awful mysteries, dost thou give the title of cup a blessing to that fearful and most tremendous cup? Yea, saith he, and no mean title is that which was spoken. For when I call it blessing, I unfold all the treasure of God's goodness and call to mind those mighty gifts. Since we too, recounting over the cup the unspeakable mysteries of God, and all that we have been made partakers of, so proceed to offer it, and to communicate, giving him thanks that he hath delivered from error the whole race of mankind, that being afar off he made them nigh, and when they had no hope and were without God in the world, he appointed them his own brethren and fellow heirs. For these and for all such things, giving thanks, thus we approach. How then are not your doings inconsistent, saith he, O ye Corinthians, blessing God for delivering you from idols, yet running again to their tables? The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? Very persuasively spake he, and awfully, for what he says is this, this which is in the cup is that which flowed from his side, and of that do we partake, but he called it the cup of blessing, because, holding it in our hands, we so proceed to exalt him in our hymn. Wondering, astonished at his unspeakable gift, blessing him, among other things, for the pouring out of this selfsame draught, that we might not abide in error, and not only for the pouring it out, but also for the imparting thereof to us all. Wherefore, if thou desire blood, saith he, Redden not the altar of idols with the slaughter of brute beasts, but my altar with my blood. Tell me, what can be more tremendous than this? What more tenderly kind? This also lovers do, when they see those whom they love desiring what belongs to strangers and despising their own. They give what belongs to themselves and so persuade them to withdraw themselves from the gifts of those others. Lovers, however, display this liberality in goods and money and garments, but in blood none ever did so, whereas Christ even herein exhibited his care and fervent love for us. 
and in the Old Covenant, because they were in an imperfect state, the blood which they used to offer to idols he himself submitted to receive, that he might separate them from those idols, which very thing again was a proof of his unspeakable affection. But here he hath transferred the sacred office to that which is far more awful and glorious, changing the very sacrifice itself, and instead of the slaughter of irrational creatures, commanding to offer up himself. The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Wherefore said he not the participation? Because he intended to express something more, and to point out how close was the union, in that we communicate not only by participating and partaking, but also by being united. For as that body is united to Christ, so also are we united to him by this bread. But why adds he also which we break? For although in the Eucharist one may see this done, yet on the cross not so, but the very contrary. For a bone of him, saith one, shall not be broken. But that which he suffered not on the cross, this he suffers in the oblation for thy sake. And he submits to be broken, that he may fill all men. Further because he said, the communion of the body, and that which communicates is another thing from that whereof it communicates. Even this, which seemeth to be but a small difference, he took away. For having said, the communion of the body, he sought again to express something nearer. Wherefore also he added, verse 17, For we being many are one bread, one body. For why speak I of communion, saith he? We are that selfsame body. For what is the bread, the body of Christ? And what do they become who partake of it? the body of Christ, not many bodies, but one body. For as the bread, consisting of many grains, is made one, so that the grains nowhere appear, they exist indeed, but their difference is not seen, by reason of their conjunction. So are we conjoined both with each other and with Christ, there not being one body for thee, and another for thy neighbor to be nourished by, but the very same for all. Where also he adds, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Now if we are all nourished of the same, and all become the same, why do we not show forth the same love, and become also in this respect one? For this was the old way too, in the time of our forefathers. For the multitude of them that believed, saith the text, were of one heart and of one soul. Not so, however, now, but altogether the reverse. Many and various are the contests betwixt all, and worse than wild beasts are we affected towards each other's members. In Christ indeed may thee, so far remote, one with himself, but thou dost not deign to be united even to thy brother with due exactness, but separatest thyself, having had the privilege of so great love and life from the Lord. For he gave not simply even his own body, but because the former nature of the flesh, which was framed out of earth, had first become deadened by sin and destitute of life, he brought in, as one may say, another sort of dough and leaven, his own flesh, by nature indeed the same, but free from sin and full of life, and gave to all to partake thereof, that being nourished by this, and laying aside the old dead material, we might be blended together, unto the eternal life, by means of this table. Verse 18. 
Behold Israel after the flesh. Are not they which eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? Again, from the old covenant he leads them unto this point also. For because they were far beneath the greatness of the things which had been spoken, he persuades both them from former things and from those which they were accustomed. And he says well according to the flesh, as though they themselves were according to the Spirit. And what he says is of this nature, even from persons of the grosser sort ye may be instructed, that they who eat of the sacrifices are partakers of the altar. Dost thou see how he intimates that they who seem to be perfect have not perfect knowledge? If they know not even this, that the result of these sacrifices to many oftentimes is a certain communion and friendship with devils, the practice drawing them on by degrees. And if among men the fellowship of salts and the table becomes an occasion and token of friendship, it is possible that this may happen also in the case of devils. But do thou, I pray thee, consider how with regard to the Jews he said not, they are partakers with God, but they are partakers of the altar, for what was placed thereon was burnt, but in respect of the body of Christ not so. But how? Is it the communion of the Lord's body? For not of the altar, but of Christ himself are we made partakers? But having said that they are partakers of the altar, afterwards fearing, lest he should seem to discourse, as if the idols had any power, and could do any injury, see again how he overthrows them, saying, Verse 14. What say I then, that the idol is anything, or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? As if he had said, Now these things I affirm, and try to withdraw you from the idols, not as though they could do any injury or had any power, for an idol is nothing, but I wish you to despise them. And if thou wilt have us despise them, saith one, wherefore dost thou carefully withdraw us from them? Because they are not offered to the Lord. Verse 20. For that which the Gentiles sacrifice, saith he, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. Do not then run to the contrary things. For neither if thou wert a king's son, and having the privilege of thy father's table, shouldest leave it after all, and choose to partake of the table of the condemned, and the prisoners in the dungeon, would thy father permit it. But with great vehemence he would withdraw thee, not as though the table would harm thee, but because it disgraces thy nobility and the royal table. For verily these two are servants who have offended, dishonored, condemned, prisoners reserved for intolerable punishment, accountable for ten thousand crimes. How then art thou not ashamed to imitate the gluttonous and vulgar crew, in that when these condemned persons set out a table, thou runnest thither and partakest of the viands? Here is the cause why I seek to withdraw thee, for the intention of the sacrificers and the person of the receivers maketh the things set before thee unclean, and I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. Perceivest thou the kindness of a careful father? Perceivest thou also the very word? What force it hath to express his feeling? For it is my wish, saith he, that you have nothing common with them. 
Next, because he brought in the saying, by way of exhortation, lest any of the grosser sort should make light of it, as having license, because he said, I would not, and judge ye, he positively affirms in what follows, and lays down the law, saying, verse 21, Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. But he contends himself with the mere terms for the purpose of keeping them away. Then speaking also to their sense of shame, verse 22, Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? I.e., are we tempting him? whether he is able to punish us and irritating him by going over to the adversaries and taking our stand with his enemies. And this he said, reminding them of an ancient history and of their father's transgression. Wherefore also he makes use of this saying, which Moses likewise of old used against the Jews, accusing them of idolatry in the person of God. For they, saith he, have moved me to jealousy, with that which is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. Are we not stronger than he? Dost thou see how terribly, how awfully he rebukes them, thoroughly shaking their very nerves, and by his way of reducing them to an absurdity, touching them to the quick and bringing down their pride? Well, by why, someone will say, did he not set down these things at first? which would be most effectual to withdraw them, because it is his custom to prove his point by many particulars, and to place the strongest last, and to prevail by proving more than was necessary. On this account, then, he began from the lesser topics, and so made his way to that which is the sum of all evils. Since so that last point also became more easily admitted, their mind having been soothed down by the things said before. Verses 23 and 24. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. Seest thou his exact wisdom? Because it was likely that they might say, I am perfect and master of myself, and it does me no harm to partake of what is set before me. Even so, saith he, perfect thou art, and master of thyself, do not, however, look to this, but whether the results involve not injury, nay subversion. For both these he mentioned, saying, All things are not expedient, all things edify not. And using the former with reference to oneself, the latter to one's brother, since the cause are not expedient, is a covert intimation of the ruin of the person to whom he speaks. But the clause edify not, of the offense of the brother. Wherefore also he adds, Let no man seek his own, which he everywhere and in every epistle insists upon, both in that to the Romans, when he says, For even Christ pleased not himself. And again, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit. And again, in this place, he does not, however, fully work it out here, that is, since in what had gone before he had established it at length, and shown that he nowhere seeks his own, but both to the Jews became as a Jew, and to them that are without law as without law, and used not his own liberty and power at random, but to the profit of all, serving all, 
Here he broke off, content with a few words, and by these few guiding them to the remembrance of all which he had said before. These things therefore knowing, let us also, beloved, consult for the good of the brethren, and preserve unity with them. For to this that fearful and tremendous sacrifice leads us, warning us above all things to approach it with one mind and fervent love, and thereby becoming eagles, so to mount up to the very heaven. For, whithersoever the carcass is, saith he, there also will be the eagles, calling his body a carcass by reason of his death. For unless he had fallen, we should not have risen again. But he calls us eagles, implying that he who draws nigh to this body must be on high and have nothing in common with the earth nor wind himself downwards and creep along, but must ever be soaring heavenwards, and look on the Son of Righteousness, and have the eye of his mind quick-sighted. For eagles, not daws, have a right to this table. Those also shall then meet him, descending from heaven, who now worthily have this privilege, even as they who do so unworthily shall suffer the extremest torments, for if one would not inconsiderably receive a king, why say I a king, nay, were it but a royal robe, one would not inconsiderately touch it with unclean hands. Though he should be in solitude, though alone, though no man were at hand, and yet the robe is not, but certain threads spun by worms. And if thou admirest the dye, this too is the blood of a dead fish, Nevertheless, one would not choose to venture on it with polluted hands. I say now, if even a man's garment be what one would not venture inconsiderately to touch, what shall we say of the body of him who is God over all, spotless, pure, associate with that divine nature, the body whereby we are and live? whereby the gates of hell were broken down and the sanctuaries of heaven opened. How shall we receive this with so great insolence? Let us not, I pray you, let us not slay ourselves by our irreverence, but with all awfulness and purity, let us draw nigh to it. And when thou seest it set before thee, say thou to thyself, because of this body am I no longer earth and ashes, no longer a prisoner but free. Because of this I hope for heaven, and to receive the good things therein, immortal life, the portion of angels, converse with Christ. This body, nailed and scourged, was more than death could stand against. This body, the very Son saw crucified, and turned aside his beams. For this both the veil was rent in that moment, and rocks were burst asunder, and all the earth was shaken. This is even that body, the blood-stained, the smitten, and that out of which gushed the saving fountains, the one of blood, the other of water, for all the world. Wouldst thou from another source also learn its power? Ask of her, diseased with an issue of blood, who laid hold not of itself, but of the garment with which it was clad, nay, not of the whole of this, but of the hem, Ask the sea which bear it on its back. Ask even of the devil himself, and say, Whence hast thou that incurable stroke? Whence hast thou no longer any power? Whence art thou captive? 
by whom hast thou been seized in thy flight? And he will give no other answer than this, the body that was crucified. By this were his stings broken in pieces. By this was his head crushed. By this were the powers and the principalities made a show of. For, saith he, having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Ask also death, and say, Whence is it that thy sting hath been taken away, thy victory abolished, thy sinews cut out, and thou become the laughing-stock of girls and children, who was before a terror even to kings, and to all righteous men? And he will ascribe it to this body. For when this was crucified, then were the dead raised, then was that prison burst, and the gates of brass were broken and the dead were loosed, and the keepers of Hellgate all quaked for fear. And yet, had he been one of the many, death, on the contrary, should have become more mighty. But it was not so, for he was not one of the many. Therefore was death dissolved. And as they who take food, which they are unable to retain, on account of that vomit also, what was before lodged in them, so also it happened unto death. That body which he could not work upon, he received, and therefore had to cast forth those also which he had within him. Yea, he travailed, whilst he held him, and was straitened until he vomited him up. Wherefore, saith the apostle, having loosed the pains of death, for never woman laboring of child was so full of anguish, as he was torn and racked in sunder while he held the body of the Lord. And that which happened to be the Babylonian dragon, when having taken the food, it burst asunder in the midst. This also happened unto him, for Christ came not forth again by the mouth of death, but having burst asunder and ripped up in the very midst the belly of the dragon, thus from his secret chambers, right gloriously he issued forth, and flung abroad his beams, not to this heaven alone, but to the very throne most high, for even thither did he carry it up. This body he hath given to us to hold and to eat, a thing very appropriate to intense love. For those whom we kiss vehemently, we oftentimes even bite with our teeth. Wherefore also Job, indicating the love of his servants towards him, said that they oftentimes, out of their great affection towards him, said, Oh, that we were filled with his flesh. Even so, Christ hath given to us to be filled with his flesh, drawing us on to greater love. Let us draw nigh to him then with fervency and with inflamed love, and let us not have to endure punishment. For in proportion to the greatness of the benefits bestowed on us, so much the more exceedingly are we chastised when we show ourselves unworthy of the bountifulness. This body, even lying in a manger, the Magi reverenced, and men profane and barbarous, leaving their country and their home, both set out on a long journey, and when they came, with fear and great trembling, worshipped him. Behold now, let us at least imitate those barbarians, we who are citizens of heaven, for they indeed, when they saw him but in a manger and in a shed, and no such thing was in sight, as thou beholdest now, drew near with great awe, but thou beholdest him, 
not in the manger, but on the altar, not a woman holding him in her arms, but the priest standing by, and the spirit with exceeding bounty hovering over the gifts set before us. Thou dost not see merely this body itself, as they did, but thou knowest also its power, and the whole economy, and art ignorant of none of the holy things which are brought to pass by it, having been exactly initiated into all. Let us therefore wake ourselves up, and be filled with horror, and let us show forth the reverence far beyond that of those barbarians, that we may not, by random and careless approaches, heap fire upon our own heads. But these things, I say, not to keep us from approaching, but to keep us from approaching without consideration. For as the approaching at random is dangerous, so the not communicating in those mystical suppers is famine and death. For this table is the sinews of our soul, the bond of our mind, the foundation of our confidence, our hope, our salvation, our light, our life. When, with this sacrifice, we depart into the other world, with much confidence we shall tread the sacred threshold, fenced round on every side, as with a kind of golden armor. And why speak I of the world to come, since here this mystery makes earth become to thee a heaven? Open only for once the gates of heaven and look in, nay, rather not of heaven, but of the heaven of heavens, and then thou wilt behold what I have been speaking of. For what is there most precious of all? This will I show thee lying upon the earth. For as in royal palaces, what is most glorious of all? Is not walls nor golden roofs, but the person of the king sitting on the throne? So likewise in heaven, the body of the king. But this thou art now permitted to see upon earth. For it is not angels, nor archangels, nor heavens, and heavens of heavens, that I will show thee, but the very Lord and owner of these. Perceivest thou how that which is more precious than all things is seen by thee on earth, and not seen only, but also touched, and not only touched, but likewise eaten, and after receiving it, thou goest home? Make thy soul clean, then, prepare thy mind for the reception of these mysteries, for if thou wert entrusted to carry a king's child with the robes, the purple and the diadem, thou wouldest cast away all things which are upon the earth. But now that it is no child of man, however royal soever, but the only begotten Son of God himself, whom thou receivest, dost thou not thrill with awe? Tell me, and cast away all the love of all worldly things, and have no bravery but that wherewith to adorn thyself. Or dost thou still look towards earth, and love money, and flutter after gold? What pardon, then, canst thou have? What excuse knowest thou not that all this worldly luxury is loathsome to thy Lord? Was it not for this, that on his birth he was laid in a manger, and took to himself a mother of low estate? Did he not for this say to him that was looking after gain, But the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head? And what did the disciples? Did they not observe the same law, going to the houses of the poor, and lodged one with a tanner, another with a tent maker, and with the seller of purple? For they inquired not after the splendor of the house, but for the virtues of men's souls. These therefore let us emulate, hastening by the beauty of pillars and of marbles, and seeking the mansions which are above, 
and let us tread underfoot all the pride here below, with all love of money, and acquire a lofty mind. For if we be sober-minded, not even this whole world is worthy of us, much less porticos and arcades. Wherefore, I beseech you, let us adorn our souls. Let us fit up this house, which we are also to have with us when we depart, that we may attain even to the eternal blessings, through the grace and mercy, etc. End of homily 24. End of homilies of St. John Chrysostom on 1 Corinthians, part 1. Translated by Herbert Kistel Cornish and John Medley.